welcome to Bookphoria Podcast, the place for people who just love to read across genres, subjects, and themes. I'm here to talk to you about what I'm reading, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we are talking about Hidden Bodies by Carolyn Kepnes. It is the sequel to you based off of, uh, actually, I should say the show is based off of the book. I'm so sorry, Caroline Kepnes, for that horrendous mistake. But actually, this is a brilliant sequel to the initial book, where we saw a very different you, a very different Joe, a very different Beck, a very different love in this book. And it's kind of telling the differences, the split. If you hadn't listened to the first one, uh, about you, I recommend that. And there will be some minor spoilers here. Uh, if you have seen the show, some of this may be not new to you. Otherwise, it's actually a bit different. It does deviate to some degree. So with that being said, let's get into it. Let's begin by talking about the biggest difference, probably between the two, uh, other than, you know, the way Joe is portrayed entirely. And that is Joe moving to LA. Why does he do that? There's no Candace. There's an entire hole in the story of why Joe left New York to go to LA. The whole driving momentum of the plot is completely different. At first, when they introduced Amy, who was in the first book as you know someone using another person's credit card, shall we call a scammer? That is uh, the person I thought was going to replace Candace in the myriad of ways. But actually, Candace's character is completely show-derived. She has basically nothing to do in the book series other than being a past girlfriend Joe had killed. And just like kind of like a throwaway, like, well, that was Candace. She was murdered. She was the first. Amy is a bit different. She's a scammer. Um, and as you're reading it, it's a little painful because you're kind of seeing that Joe is diving in head over heels into this relationship. And at the same time, she's clearly scamming him. Clearly. She asked for the keys to the rare book collection. And I mean, as soon as you hear that after she uses someone's someone else's credit card, I mean, wouldn't ever, everyone think that? But I guess that kind of demonstrates that, you know, not just Joe, but when everyone's in love, we kind of overlook some things that are obvious to the rest of us. But in this case, we're on the outside. We are looking from the outside in and we are seeing this like train wreck in slow motion where you're just like, no, Joe, don't give her the keys to the rare books. What the fuck? What are you doing? And, you know, what happens happens. And he's so distraught by this that, you know, in typical Joe fashion in the books, less so in the show, um, He's, he's a serial killer. There's no cute way about it. Joe is a killer. He's not glorified uh, in some way like he is in the show, or rather humanized. I shouldn't say glorified. I don't think they ever say like, this is great. Joe should murder more people. Um, but he's very much humanized in the show. In the book, I definitely don't get that sense at all. Um, you kind of get why he's angry, but you don't ever think for a second like, oh, I kind of get it. I kind of get why he'd murder someone. So yeah. In typical serial killer fashion, he's like, oh my god, she screwed me over, I loved her, I'm going to hunt her down and murder her. 
So as he does, that is the driving force for him going to L.A. because he finds out that she wants to be an actress. And I love, in a lot of ways, um, the setting shift because I think if there's one thing I'm learning to appreciate more about this author, it's her ability to convey a sense of setting and culture with the city she's presenting. That's not something I would have you know, looked at previously, but now with the contrast of New York to LA, it was a lot more apparent how she was kind of building this atmosphere of this is LA and the atmosphere of this is Rhode Island and the atmosphere of this is New York, right? And nothing says LA much more than people aspiring to be new people and aspiring to make it big, right? Uh, It was kind of weirdly drawing to see all these people in one place trying to make something of their lives and leave the past behind. And Joe fits in well in that sense, as you can imagine, right? The interesting thing that kind of deviates as well from the book versus the show is this idea that, you know, the episodes or rather the seasons of the show are very discreet from one another in in a sense, like the stuff with Beck and Peach Salinger in the first season, they don't really, they, they aren't, continuing storylines in the second season right they're like memories for joe they're his past whereas in the second book it's a theme of you know you leave this piece of evidence behind and it'll haunt you so he's doing all new types of stuff in la that i don't want to get into you know like but obviously it's it's joe goldberg so he's murdering people but it's not like there's a sense of necessarily closure psychologically or in terms of plot about peach and beck and dr nikki right? He is obsessive about that mug of urine he left in the first book slash first season of the show. And it bothers him obsessively. And it's all he thinks about. And then it, you know, it's very, very much related to the plot. So I won't get into it. But basically, it brings in a bit more of a a mesh between the first and the second book, which I actually really enjoy. It feels like a true book sequel as opposed to distinct stories you could read separately. Um, and at the same time, it gives a sense of realistic, I don't know, like there's consequences to your actions, right? It's not just people get away and they tie everything up in a nice, neat bow. It's messy. You can't just murder someone and get away with it, no matter how good you are at it, no matter the suicide note, no matter if you mastered their voice due to you being a great writer, no matter the evidence that you planted and how neat everything is, and even when the case is actually closed, murder is messy. And, you know, you leave a piece of evidence out there and someone will find it. So there's like a haunting sense of being hunted at the same time, the sense of paranoia that may not be paranoia if it's actually warranted, right? And you really get that because the entire book, again, is through Joe's basically his stream of consciousness, right? So you really feel that paranoia. I mean, you're, you're walking in his shoes. And it's so interesting to see the changes that are made from Joe's viewpoint um, to the other characters in the story, like love. Shall we begin with love? You know, going into this second book, having seen all the seasons of you thus far, I expected love to have similar homicidal tendencies, right? I was kind of thinking the same thing, but... I realized I was kind of reading the book with the expectation of the show. 
And so I had to drop that at some point because truthfully, it wasn't helpful to the reading experience and it really paid off in the end. I always have a abiding belief that whenever there's an adaptation, you have to view it from two separate perspectives. One as the adaptation to the book or, you know, vice versa, depending on, you know, which one you saw first personally from your experience. But also secondly, how is it as a story unto itself? How is it as a storytelling mode by itself with its own story, with its own characters are all brand new, right? Bringing no previous associations with it. And I found it to be quite pleasant. I mean, the new Love, the new 40, the new Ray and Dottie, uh, they were kind of fun. And I don't even remember if Milo was in the show, but Milo's a character that's in there. The whole idea of uh, 40 being like a big character in there as well is kind of relevant. I kind of dismissed him, and I think that was actually the idea. I think it's the idea to dismiss him because basically he's supposed to be the trashy, you know, black sheep brother who is always up to no good and just gets into trouble, never makes anything of relevance. And then, you know, lo and behold, he becomes a very relevant character, which in ways I won't spoil. But if you're curious, read it. I think it's worth it. I think it's well worth a read. They really develop 40 as a character very well. Um, They develop Joe even further, and he has a moment of clarity himself, which I love. Maybe I should backtrack that a little bit. It's not quite a moment of clarity, but it's a moment of understanding of himself to some degree. But uh, take it with a grain of salt. But the quote goes, The real horror of my life is not that I've killed some terrible people. The real horror is that the people I've loved didn't love me back. And doesn't that just say volumes about the book and about Joe? He has justified his murders very cleanly, but he thinks the real horror of this is that he keeps making bad relationship decisions. And this kind of reminds me a lot of season three in you, episode six, if we're being precise, when he realizes that this whole attraction thing he has going on is a pattern stemming back to, you know, psychological issues with his mother. And it's just kind of this moment of clarity you realize he has that is so important for character development, right? Because he keeps having these pseudo understandings of like who he is and why he does what he does. But in typical, you know, lack of self-awareness fashion, he doesn't own up to it. And this quote also remarkably reminds me of this quote that I know. I forgot who said it, but it essentially was, what women fear most is violence from men, and what men fear most is the laughter of women. And I feel like what this has always uh, represented most commonly is that like, oh, look, all men have to worry about is being laughed at, while we, as women, are fearful of like violence. That's like a huge difference. And while I agree, I'm not going to obviously say that violence is not uh, less worse than being laughed at. It's also very telling into the psyche of of these these gender roles, right? And in Joe's case, he embodies it amazingly because he's out there murdering women. But what he fears most is having someone that just doesn't love him back. He's It's this being laughed at by women or being not taken seriously or being not handled well emotionally. And it kind of goes to the heart of this series in a lot of ways, I think, where 
the whole issue Joe is having is that he is being handled very poorly all his life prospectively, right? We understand his past and he's been abused emotionally all his life. And it's led to this idea of him being, it's okay to kill terrible people because when they don't love you back, when they hurt you, this is what they deserve. And it's kind of interesting that it, I feel like it it almost speaks to a deeper cycle between violence and emotional, uh, I guess, physical violence and emotional violence, right? Joe was emotionally abused and now he's physically abusive. And likewise, when he was physically abusive to people around Beck, Beck became more emotionally abusive towards him. And then we have the same dynamic with this new character, Amy. And it's just kind of, you know, like daunting of a cycle to step into and to just be inside of the head of basically our serial killer who is justifying all of his physical violence based off of the emotional violence that was done to him. Um, but to move on to another theme that I felt was supremely important in the book that was very prominent throughout was the class theme, which I did not expect from you, to be honest with you. Haha, ha, see what I did there? But basically, it's the idea of what money is able to do and what lack of money is able to do. And the author, in her glorious writing style, encapsulates this with Joe's stream of consciousness so well. Like one of them I marked down was Joe heading on to this, you know, rich area where he sees these children frolicking and playing. And he sees some kids playing and this is what he says. A little barefoot girl with a popped collar chases a barefoot boy who will never work in retail or file for unemployment. And it's just the way he just spits that out casually. Like that's just his observation. And that's what he sees immediately. It's not like a thing he had to stop and think about. He just immediately clicks with it because he's, you know, coming from a place of poverty himself or at least working class. And here's another one that I, I just love. I had to include, like, honestly, her lines are brilliant. She takes my hand and leads me onto a path that's been landscaped to perfection to make it seem like God and wind made this when really it was Mexican laborers. I mean, is that not brilliant in its, in its way? Is that not brilliant that she could so beautifully craft this poetic place that kind of makes you have this experience uh, of this gloriously crafted heaven on earth that was really made off the backs of these people we oppress and treat poorly and, and just, you know, take for granted, frankly. And the last one I want to mention, and it kind of goes along with this idea of authenticity along with the idea of class, which I really love because it's an ongoing theme in these novels that I'm noticing that Joe is obsessed with authenticity, even as he severely lacks it himself when he's demonstrating to his partners. And this one goes, they're in Taco Bell, that's the setting. Something called a quesarito that was not concocted by an abuela in Mexico City, but by a corporate scientist in the middle of America. I think that is just hilarious. Like, it just demonstrates his ability to see very clearly. And this is just the way he sees the world, right? It's a bunch of fakeness. And it's masked by this seeming authenticity because we put a Spanish sounding name, quesarito, right? 
and we think, oh, it's by an abuela, this, this old recipe that they Taco Bell uncovered. Nobody actually thinks that, but that's kind of the, the fake idea we all buy into when we go to Taco Bell, right? That we're getting Mexican food. And instead, what we're getting is this engineered slop wrapped in this weird cardboard. Not to say, you know, talk shit about Taco Bell because I, I eat it from time to time. But it's this thing we all buy into as a society that Joe hates. He hates fakeness so much. And I find it hilarious because over the course of the novel, he slowly grows uh, from hating L.A. and all this fakeness around him to really kind of growing into it as soon as it's able to impact him in a positive manner. So that's a really interesting uh, transformation I did not expect from Joe. I kind of expected this staunch, authentic, uh, you know, old school mentality to persevere through the culture of L.A., but really L.A. gets him. And I think that's what's so great about this novel. It's it's not static, right? Joe's not a static character by any means. He's growing, even if not in a positive way, he is growing. Um, and at the same time, his past is there, right? And I think that's where the novel essentially leaves off. And I don't want to go into any more. I don't want to spoil anything. But I really recommend if you like the show, you read these novels. They're slightly different, but extremely enjoyable. They're better for it, for being different. And it's kind of like watching you all over again, but like a different version, like a different take. And one which was inspiring enough to make a show after and you kind of start to realize wow I can totally see why this would make a good show because this is the kind of novel that really pulls you in and without realizing you've read like 200 pages and you're just how did I get here and it's kind of the same way we live our day-to-day lives and our week is over and we're like how did the week end so quick that's exactly what it feels like because you're inside his head for the ride you never stop and break and think, what is the other person doing? You're just locked and loaded as Joe Goldberg until the book is finished. And with that, I wish you all happy reading, and I hope you enjoy the podcast.